The scripture reading of the morning is from John chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. After this, there was a festival of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, there is a pool called in Hebrew, Bethesda, which has five porticos. In these lay many ill, blind, lame, and paralyzed people. One man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? The ill man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am making my way, someone else always steps down ahead of me. Jesus said to him, stand up, take your mat and walk. At once the man was made well and he took up his mat and he began to walk. Now that day was a Sabbath. The word of the Lord, praise be to God. One of the things that I love and appreciate so much about Mount Olympus Presbyterian Church is that this is a community that is open to questions, right? We all have our questions about God and about faith and our, our purpose and how we live our lives and even about our doubts, and all of them are welcome here. Like As a community, we wrestle together with challenging questions and we bring them before God and we don't have to be afraid of them. Uh, but in this Lenten season, even as we are always wrestling with our own questions, we're also being asked to, uh, to turn ourselves inward and to be reflective and self-examining in this season. We're learning in our scriptures that Jesus also has some very important questions for us, questions about our deepest desires and our relationship with him and our understanding of him, questions that make us stop and think and dig deeper within ourselves than sometimes we're comfortable with. And our text this morning is actually in some ways reflective of that shift. See, normally in the Gospels, what we see are people clamoring to get to Jesus for healing and for wisdom, sometimes entire crowds of people at a time seeking him. But in our story today, what we find is that Jesus is the one who seeks. In order to ask a seemingly random man lying beside a pool a simple question, do you want to be made well? Do you want to be made well? God, as we look at this story of Jesus this morning, may you give us ears to hear this question, asked not only to this man, but to each of us, and open hearts to honestly contend with what that question means in our lives. Show us your grace this morning through your word, and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, this comes from the Apostle John, this particular story, and John starts by setting the context for us. 
Jesus is currently in Jerusalem to celebrate one of the traditional Jewish festivals. And John also gives us the location within Jerusalem where we find Jesus at this point in time. It's a pool called Bethzatha, or in some manuscripts it's called Bethesda, which means house of mercy. But there's a curious history to this particular pool. It's more of a legend, really. Um, but it was said that every so often, the pool or the waters of this pool would stir up, and whoever made it into the pool first after this happened could receive a miraculous healing. And there is some evidence that the pool was disturbed from time to time and that healings took place. I mean, they've actually excavated this pool of Bethesda in recent years, and they found that it was connected to other reservoirs and possible springs that may have caused the water to move on these occasions. And there's some ancient manuscripts that, rec or that uh, record the redness in the water, indicating that there could have been some uh, medicinal, natural minerals involved in this spring. Um, at one point, it was even made into a Roman shrine to the god Asclepius, who is the god of healing. And the legend was so well accepted that it also made its way into some of the later manuscripts of John's gospel. I'm not sure if you noticed, but as we were reading, you'll see that there's no verse 4 in this text. And that's because at one point, it said that the people at the pool were waiting for the stirring of the water, for an angel of the Lord went down from time to time into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well from whatever disease that person had. And so today it's pretty widely understood that this was a later addition to John's gospel, um, possibly to explain why so many people were to be found at this particular pool in the story. But whatever the case may have been, it's clear that Jews and Gentiles alike put their hope in this pool as though there was a God who might play this sadistic game that pitted people against one another for their own healing when they had no other hope, that they would have to race against one another to put their suffering above other people's in order to make it into this pool. But our God is not like that. There's no mercy or justice in that kind of system. And Jesus had no interest in it that day either. When he arrived, uh, there were many people that were sick and blind and paralyzed, lying beside this pool, waiting. And for how long, we don't know in most cases, except for one. One man had been ill for 38 years. 38 years. That's longer than some of us have been alive. That's a long time to be struggling with something. Right? We have no idea who this man was otherwise. He's not given a name. All we know is that Jesus saw him and knew that he had been there a long time. And I find myself getting envious of Jesus in this, that he can just look at a person and know them, right? know their story, know what has happened to them and exactly how they're feeling. I mean, we have to work really hard to get to other people's stories sometimes. And honestly, we sometimes have to work harder to open up and let people into our own stories. But Jesus, he has this superpower. He just knows. He sees people. And he understands where we've been and where we're at better than we do ourselves. And so for some reason, in this place, in this day, Jesus approaches this man 
and says, do you want to be made well? I don't know what you guys first thought of when you heard that question, but if I'm being honest, my first reaction to that is, what kind of a question is that? (laughs) Right, like of course he wants to be made well. He's been living with this illness that he has had for 38 years. Of course he wants to be made well, right? It almost sounds like Jesus kind of throwing that question in his face a little bit with like not so much tact, especially given that he already knows plenty about this man. You know, why would he ask that? But maybe that's just it. Maybe Jesus knows something about this man that we don't, that we're not told. Does the man actually want to be made well? Is this possibly Jesus acknowledging his many, many years of living with this disability? Or maybe this is Jesus trying to give him some agency in his own healing, right? An agency, a choice that he has not had for a long time. There could be a lot wrapped up in this simple question, and it's really hard to know what Jesus intended as he looked into this man's eyes at the pool. I mean, what would you hear from that question if you were the man? Given our story, he doesn't actually seem to understand what Jesus intended by the question either. He doesn't say yes or no. He just tells Jesus his situation. Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I'm making my way, someone else steps down ahead of me. This man doesn't seem to recognize Jesus. He doesn't know why he's there, why he's asking him this question. He simply states this sad fact that after so many years of waiting, he's never been able to make it into the pool and be made well. Now, I've read a lot about this man this week, and there's a lot of speculation about this particular interaction. Some people imagine this man to be irritated at Jesus' question, like he's an old curmudgeon without any hope left who is just exasperatedly explaining to this younger man the very clear facts of his situation, right? He has the audacity to ask. He says, I have no one to put me in the pool. I can never make it in time. Like, isn't that obvious? What more do you want from me? After so many years of being disappointed, it wouldn't entirely be surprising for him to be a little bit cynical about finding healing. And that's understandable, right? There are plenty of things that that I've gotten cynical about, especially when it feels like I don't have any power to change something, right? Sometimes it's like the big issues like climate crisis or politics or poverty in the world, just these big issues that it feels like are so difficult for us as humanity to crawl out from underneath. Or sometimes it's personal things, You know, I'm cynical about the way that my body operates or sometimes doesn't want to operate or my ability to handle things or to say the right thing at the right time and I, I can get frustrated and beat myself up and then I end up being angry at the world for not making things easier. What kind of things do you feel cynical about? I mean, this situation was in the pits for this man and there was nothing that he could do about it. And it wasn't for lack of trying. So maybe in light of that, he was a little annoyed or defensive in his reaction to Jesus, especially not knowing who Jesus was. But, you know, if he did, would it have made any difference? Right? We know who Jesus is. 
And does it do anything to lessen our cynicism from time to time? Other people read this story and they hear this man as being more self-pitying, right? I would be well, but I can never make it into the pool in time. People push past me and I have no chance. I'm stuck like this and nothing's ever gonna change. You know, it could be that after 38 years of being ill, of being likely paralyzed in some way, given that he couldn't physically make it into this pool, that he felt defeated. And it was as though his whole life had become paralyzed. He had this illness that now completely defined who he was. Perhaps that was all he knew. So maybe that's why Jesus asks the question, do you want to be made well? Or... Have you gotten comfortable with your helplessness, your situation? You know, they say sometimes we prefer the misery we know to the mystery we don't know. It doesn't really make sense, but it does happen. And I love how C.S. Lewis illustrates this concept in his book, if you've ever read it, called The Great Divorce. Um, It's a fictional story that he writes Uh, about a group of ghosts that travel on a bus from hell into heaven, and they're told when they get there that they can stay as long as they like. All of the, the joy and the love and the realness of heaven is available to them forever if they'd like to stay, if they want it. But there's one ghost who comes, and he's traveling with this little red lizard on his shoulder that speaks a bunch of lies and promises in his ear. And the ghost hates this creature, He knows that this this little lizard on his shoulder makes him miserable. But as he's talking to an angel, he's using this creature as an excuse to go back to the bus and then eventually try to come back later. The angel asks him, would you like me to make him quiet? And the man says, of course I would. (laughs) And then the angel says, okay, then I will kill him. But at that point, the man like backs up and he becomes afraid. And so the angel says, Don't you want him killed? And the ghost responds that he didn't mean for anything as drastic as that, right? He assures this angel that he can keep this little lizard in order and that a gradual process would be far better than killing it. And when the angel tells him that a gradual process will do no good, the man still continues to say that he'll give it real thought and actually he's not feeling very well right now and it's probably just better that he goes back to the bus. He'll try heaven again sometime later. And the more and more that they talk, the more this man, this ghost, becomes afraid, not just that in this process the lizard is going to be gone, but that he himself will be killed in the process of it being killed. Right? He identifies so much with the presence of this lizard that has become this constant companion, this devil on his shoulder, that he can't imagine anything different, even if the promise of what is coming is so much better than what he currently has. This is just another way of saying sometimes we prefer the misery we know that we're comfortable with to the mystery of what we could be without it. And perhaps this is something we can identify with too. If we've carried a grudge or a grief or an addiction or a way of being for so long, it can be hard to imagine life any other way. We start to befriend our pain in a way that eventually can turn it into a crutch. Or perhaps we even get to the point where we become blind to it, 
where it is just part of who we are and something that we're not even sure we need healing from in the first place. And in that sense, Jesus' question may be a, a gentle way of inviting us to truly see ourselves honestly. Do we want to be made well? Because sometimes if we're honest, we're not sure. These are probably the two most common takes I found on, for the man at the pool, either the cynicism or kind of the self-pitying dismissiveness, um, the reason for his inability to give Jesus a, a yes or no answer. But one pastor I came across um, who has a physical disability herself read this response very differently. She heard this as a genuine cry of lament from this man. Right? His desire to be healed in this circumstance seemed very obvious to her. What's agonizing in this situation, she says, is the lack of anyone else to help, make, or help him make it into the pool. She writes, There have been so many times on the road of seeking healing that I have felt so very utterly alone without a person to help me. Going to a slew of doctor and care appointments, trying to learn about what I'm being told is going on in me, waiting, waiting, waiting for the next specialist. It's exhausting and easy to feel like you aren't going to make it. You struggle to change your frame of reference and your standards for your lifestyle so that you don't fall into the trap of believing that because you can't do things, you're giving up. And on top of these mental games and physical challenges, many people with disabilities lack a person who is able to come alongside to be with them. Perhaps for some, it's not a matter of wanting or not wanting to be made well. It's a matter of not having the community needed in order to be made well. And Philip Yancey writes something similar in his book called Where is God When It Hurts? He says, people who are suffering, whether from physical or psychological pain, often feel an oppressive sense of aloneness. They feel abandoned by God and also by others because they must bear the pain alone and no one else quite understands. Loneliness increases the fear, which in turn increases the pain, and downward the spiral goes. What can be just as debilitating as any sort of physical ailment is the sadness of feeling alone in whatever struggle you're having, or feeling abandoned, or in this man's case, feeling completely outcast from society. Perhaps he hopes that Jesus is finally going to be the one to help him into the pool. Perhaps his voice, as he answers this, carries a sadness that Jesus just deeply understands. In which case, Jesus' question and his response is a way of saying, you're no longer alone or without anyone to help you. I am here now. This pool isn't going to do you any good, though. <laughs> I can give you something better. And the truth is, we're not given many hints as to what this man may or may not have been thinking when he encountered Jesus. These are three of the possibilities, but there are plenty more. John doesn't tell us what the tone or the demeanor of this man was, but I wonder if the ambiguity isn't somewhat intentional. Perhaps he is leaving room for us to read ourselves into this story, to question as much as this man was questioned, do you want to be made well? 
How do you most resonate with this man's encounter with Jesus? And each of us has some element of our lives that requires healing, physical or otherwise. And each of us has our own opportunity to answer Jesus' questions. What does being made well look like for you today? Are you ready to let Jesus jump in and completely have his way with your life, even if what that means turns out to be very different from what you hoped for or expected? It's interesting to notice that after this man says this, Jesus' response is just to stand up, take up his mat, and walk. And he doesn't require anything else from him. Faith is not a prerequisite for this healing. Jesus simply heals him because that is what the man needs, and that is what Jesus does. That's what Jesus has done for all of us on the cross. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but Jesus has made a way to heal us, to reconcile us to the God who loves us, to himself. It's a healing gift that he's already given with no strings attached. That's pretty good news for us. I do, though, want to acknowledge that there are some of us who feel like we have been saying yes to Jesus' question for a long time. Yes, we desperately want to be healed from this sickness or in this relationship or from this depression or whatever it may be. And the healing has not come in the way that we hoped it would. And we keep praying, not knowing exactly if or how God will ever step into this. And it may be that our prayers go unanswered, at least in this life, for reasons that we don't understand. But my hope is that what we'll see in this story is a healing that continues to be offered, not just for our bodies and our physical circumstances, important as those are to us and to God, but also for our souls, for the deepest parts of ourself. I mean, the healing stories in the Gospels are because Jesus cares about people's well-being, but they also point past just the physical healing. They always point to the healer himself. We are invited to know him and to trust him in what he does. He's the one who says, come to me, all who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. He is the one who shows up to walk beside us and to remind us that no matter what's happening, we are never alone. So whether or not we experience the exact type of healing that we are longing for in this life, we still choose to hope in Jesus' words. We trust in the promise that in the end, and very possibly by the grace of God in this life, we worship a God who is greater than our cynicism and greater than our reluctance, and greater than our grief, and our doubt, and our illnesses, and greater even than death itself. And that what Jesus ultimately has to offer us is a peace and a healing that is well beyond all that we could ask for or imagine. Do you want to be made well? That's the invitation for each of us today.
Let's pray. Gracious God, we know that no matter where we are in our circumstances and in our lives, the deepest parts of our soul cries out yes to you. Yes, we want to be made well. Yes, we want to be reconciled to you, our creator. Yes, we long for the day when all of the evils and injustices and the sufferings of the world will be over in our life or in the one you promise. But God, help us consider this question this week, not just as an abstract question asked thousands of years ago to a man whose name we don't know, but how are you asking each of us today if we would like to be made well? What is it that we're looking for? What is it that you offer? God, please make our hearts ready to receive the healing that you have for us, even if it hurts even if we don't know what's coming next. We know that you are good and we can trust in your love. And for that, we are grateful. In your name, amen.